if you're with us fresh, we're in the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there might be one in the, in the seat in front of you. If, if, if there isn't and you would like to have a Bible, if you come and see me, we will give you a Bible. If you can't afford to buy one, we'd love to, to give you a Bible that you could have for yourself. And, and the church at Thyatira in the second chapter, starting in about the 18th verse, it's, it's a, let, let me tell you, it is a despicable church. In some respects, it's, it's not so despicable. But in some respects, it's just terrible. The commentaries that I've read concerning this particular place in Scripture, from verse 18 to 29, talks about, most of them say it's, it's kind of like what the church is across the United States today. It's, it's the seeping in of the world. It's the seeping in of, of sin. And it is the, the, church, the church tolerating it and compromising so as to make nice instead of doing what our Lord would have us to do. And so we want to talk about it, but in, in that place in Scripture, if you, if you look at verse 24, Jesus Christ, in, in condemning this church, and he condemns it heavy, I want you to know. He says, but I say to the rest of you, the rest of you who are in Thyatira, the rest of you who are in churches similar to this, he says, those of you who don't hold to this teaching, this teaching of false doctrine and, and sin, he says at the end of it, I place no other burden on you. Those who, of us who hold fast, as he says in the next verse, hold fast of what you have until I come. And, and, and I want that for you and for me more than I can, I can tell you more than my next breath. I want for you and me to hold fast to the things of God that we have and not take flippant this very essence of church and, and who we are so that when we rise in the morning, so that when, we, when we're alone and so when we come to our deathbed, give us Jesus, not the things of this world, but give us Jesus. And so we're going to take a look at this tremendous place, but very, very critical place in the Word of God for the church today across the United States of America. Let me read with you the first, I mean, verses 18 to 29, and then we'll pray for all three things at once, rather than separate it, please. Listen to what our Lord says to this church, and um, we're going to learn a lot today, I think. We only have a half an hour left. That's plenty. We're going to learn a lot. It says, To the angel of the church at Thyatira write, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze, he says this, verse 19, I know of your deeds. I know of your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and that your deeds of late are even greater than those at first. But I have this against you that you tolerate, you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. And she teaches and she leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her immorality. 
Behold, I will therefore cast her upon a bed of sickness, and those, those who commit adultery with her into great tri tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. Verse 23, And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. And the person who overcomes, they who keep my deeds until the end, to them I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessel of the potter are broken into pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father, and I will give to them the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's a great lesson for us. But first, Father, we want to come to you as as we believe here in this church, we come to the only one that can truly hear our prayers, not only hear them, but can, can do something about them, Father. We pray for our mission team that are, are going to be going to the Dominican Republic in June. Father, would you bless them? Bless them with a time that will uh, excite their very soul. and That, Father, they would have a ministry there in the Dominican um, unlike anything that they've ever experienced, Father, would you prepare the hearts of those wonderful Dominican people that they might uh, be ready to hear what our people are going to share. Watch over them. Of course, Father, would you take them there safely and bring them home full of excitement, safely, Father. And, oh, Father, we pray for Louis. We pray for his wife, Carol, for Michael and his wife, Christy, and for Russ and Julie and their, their, their children, the Louis and Carol's grandkids. Father, it would be my will that you would heal him completely. But not my will, but yours be done, of course. Selfishly, Father, we always want to that, that, that what we think is what is best, and as Hutch taught us a few weeks ago, that you cause all things to work together for good to those who love you. And so as Hutch mentioned about the cancer that he is walking with, that he has been privileged by you to walk with this cancer, so Louis said practically the same thing to me the other day. So as if I would pray for Ken Hutch, and if I would pray for Louis, Father, please take that, the cancer away. Let them be a miracle, a walking miracle, Father, that they might tell people of your grace and your kindness as you healed them from the cancer that, that they had. And for Louis, Father, who has, uh, the doctors have told him he has only three, maybe four months. I pray for him, Father. I pray that your will would be done in his life for sure. For that is the best thing could happen to Louis. In the meantime, watch over Carol, please, his wife, and their kids, and uh, the grandkids.
For what little I know of this man, Father, I've fallen deeply in love with him as a friend. And I'm encouraged by him. And I am saddened that the grandkids won't really get to know their grandpa. So, your will be done. Please, please, Father, and move me aside now as we give this message. And and let this message teach us the the Rock Community Church, let it, let, it, let it teach us, Father, what we ought to do and what we, we need to be careful not to do. And so, Lord, when we sang the song, in the morning when I rise and in the days when I am alone and when I also go to die, Father, we don't want this world. Give us Jesus. Give us Jesus, I pray in your Son's most glorious name, the name which you tell us, Father, in the book of Philippians is a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, every tongue will confess him as Lord. We come to you, Father, in your Son's most precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me tell you what our Lord has done for us. Within the church structure, almost immediately, in the book of Matthew, if you look on the screen, on Matthew chapter 18, verses 15, 16, and 17, the Lord has given a principle to the church on how to deal with sin. It's, 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 it's a, the almost immediate instructions that the Lord gave to the family of God. Because within the church, tantamount, tantamount to the Lord, what is wrong with the church at Thyatira is this, tantamount to the Lord, is that we do not compromise, we do not tolerate sin within the body of Christ. We deal with it. And so in in Matthew chapter 18, it says, if your brother or if your sister, if someone in the family of God sins, it says, go and show him his fault, or go and reprove that person. Where? How? Does it say? What does it say? In what? In private. You see, it's not, you don't see someone sitting and you say, oh, wow, did you see what so-and-so did? Oh, it's terrible. I saw it. Did you see it? You ought to see it. And, and you gossip about this person. No, you go to that person in private. Because it says in verse 16, if that person, if that person listens to you, verse 15, I said 16, please forgive me. If that person listens to you, if he hears what you are saying and repent, you've won your brother back, your sister back to Christ. How wonderful. Then it goes on, the Lord, to say, But if they do not listen to you, verse 16, take one or two more with you, so by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact can be confirmed. And then, though, verse 17, if they refuse to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And then let them be to you as a Gentile or, or a tax collector. In other words, as a, as a non-believer. In either case, church discipline of that kind 
keeps holiness, a purity within the body. It ought to be done within your life. If, if in your life there is sin in your heart, if there's something that you've done that, that, you, that you know is wrong and, and the Lord has convicted you, don't put it off. Don't, don't put it off and, and say, well, I'll deal with it later. I'll, I'll, I'll confess it to the Lord tonight when I go to sleep, as I lay down. No, no, no. Deal with it right away. Deal with the sin immediately. This type of holiness and purity within our lives will bring power to us, will bring a peace and, and, and a blessings beyond our wildest dreams. And so what it does for a church, it, it calls for the church to, to confront a, a sinning person, and if they repent, it brings them back into the family of God. Praise the Lord. But if they do not wish to repent, if, it's, if it's, they just decide this, this process is not for them, then you are to purge them from the church, it says. Those who stubbornly desire to cling to their sin. In either case, whether they go or whether they stay, the purity of the church is maintained. And that's, that's tantamount for our Lord. So at Thyatira, let's get to this church, this messy church. Look at what they did, or really what they didn't do, in verses 20 and 21. In verse 20 it says, clearly, they tolerated. That's the key word. They tolerated this woman named Jezebel. Now, this, this woman Jezebel is not, there wasn't a woman called Jezebel there that was terrible. It's the sin of Jezebel that they tolerated. I'll show you what that is in a moment. So they tolerated this woman named Jezebel. That's a bad decision to tolerate any sin within the church or our lives. And who is this Jezebel? Well, it says in verse 20, she calls herself a prophetess. And in other words, calling herself a prophetess. There's a sin of pride right there. But here's what she does. Verse 20, she teaches and she leads the Lord's bondservants. The Lord's bondservants are believers astray. In other words, she takes people who are, are new in their faith or, or believe in Christ and she leads them astray. And then ultimately, verse 21, she will not repent of her immorality or her sins. And not to, not to repent of any of our sins, whether a church or individual is a death knell to yourself. It, it takes away God's blessings and power. We should always go to Him and ask for forgiveness. Now, now here's what we see in verse 19. We saw it last week, so we just brush over it. But even under the blessings of being a church that is full of deeds and love and faith and service and perseverance and even growth, because their deeds of late are greater than the ones they did at first, Still, immorality and false doctrine, false teaching that leads bondservants of Christ astray, if not confronted and is tolerated by the church, will bring judgment upon the church by God Almighty. As we see in verse 24, look at it. Jezebel and those she led astray knew the deep things of Satan as they called it that. In other words, they were openly practicing sin. In this case, the deep things of Satan would be occult practices or Satan worship. But as we're going to see, 
the whole idea of Jezebel was teaching and leading believers away from their faith in Christ. In the Old Testament, First and Second Kings, we learn about Jezebel. She was the wife of Israel's king Ahab. Now he was a terrible king. Terrible. He married her and she brought from Baal into Israel idol worship, which was a gross sin of the worst kind. As a matter of fact, it was so vile that the Bible says that Ahab's marrying Jezebel was evil beyond evil. In 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 30 and 31, it says, Ahab, the son of Omari, who he did evil in the sight of the Lord, more, it says, more than all that were before him. All the kings that came before him, he did evil. What was his, e- what was his, e- what was his evil? He married <laughs> Jezebel. Boy, bless her heart. And Jezebel brought into Egypt, I mean, into Israel, Baal and idol worship. You see, her sin was pleasure. We talked about there were two different sins that are mentioned in these seven churches that are mentioned throughout uh, Revelation chapters 2 and 3. One of the sin was persecution, trials, difficulties that you go through. That might draw you or take you away from the Lord. The second one was pleasure. Her sin was pleasure. She brought obscene sexual practices both by male and female prostitutes, calling them prophets, by the way. She brought them into Israel and into the temple of God. Also, she she tried to kill God's true prophet, Elijah. He encountered the prophets of, of Baal on Mount Carmel. It's in it's in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. You ought to read about it later. It's really a great story. If you've not, you know what it is. It, it was, um, Elijah was sitting there. He says, who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the, 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 the God of Baal? Or are you going to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He says, here's the test. He says, you guys, you prophets of Baal, get yourself a heifer, put it on an, put it on an altar, all kinds of wood on it, and you call down for your God to consume your offering. I'll do the same thing. I'll get a heifer, and I'll put it on an aisle of wood, and I'll do the same thing. You go first. So they're calling for their God. Come down and... And he's yelling at them. Maybe he's tired and sleeping. You Maybe you should yell a little louder. He's... he's what are they doing in sports now? He's trash-talking them, the guy. He's telling them, try harder. He's sleeping. And when they gave up and were exhausted, he said, hey, give me some water. Let's put some water on mine. They poured all sorts of water on his offering, and he goes, sick it. Poof. God licked it up like nothing, just consumed it. Well, after that victory... Oftentimes in our lives, when we go through something victorious in our walk, there's, there's that pressure that Satan would maybe jump on us or whatever, and you kind of get a feeling of, of, of some problems, you know. And he ran. He ran away from Jezebel, and she tried to kill him. Now this New Testament Jezebel we see in Revelation chapter 2, like the Old Testament Jezebel we see in First and Second Kings, was trying to draw God's people 
the bondservants of our Lord, drawing God's people away from the one true God and the only faith that there is, Jesus Christ. And how? Typical. We, taught, we teach it here almost every week. Through false teaching. Look. Look what it says in verse 20. False teaching and leading Jesus' bondservants, that's believers, astray. So that they commit these acts of immorality or eat things sacrificed to idols. Basically, so they, they commit these sins, whatever the sins were. That this, this thought process of Jezebel brought into the church at Thyatira. Now I want you to see what our Lord thinks about anybody that, that draws a believer away from their faith. Please hold your place here and turn to Matthew First book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 18. Would you please? It's to the left, of course. And if you go to Matthew chapter 18, I want you to see what our Lord says about this. Now, this is a very interesting place in the Word of God because often people uh, think it means talking just about children. And it's, and it's talking about children, but it's talking about believers. Young believers in the Lord is what it's talking about. The, the disciples asked Jesus in chapter 18 of Matthew, verse 1, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now that to me is a stupid question. Who cares? I mean, who cares? I know. We know who is greatest. Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about it. Who amongst us is going to be better than the next? Who cares? We just want to be there. So he answers by this. He, he called a child to himself and he set the child before them, and he said, Truly I say to you, verse 3, watch, unless you are converted and become like a child. So it's not, this is not talking about children in essence. It's talking about a conversion and coming to faith like a child who has this pure faith in a child. You shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, whoever then humbles himself as, as this child then this person, that person's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such a child in my name will receive me. Now I want you to, here's the point I want to get to. Verse 6. But he says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me. Now remember, he's not talking about a baby child. He's talking about a new believer. It could be a child, but it could be also be an adult. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. And then he says something very interesting in verse 7. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. He says it is inevitable that stumbling blocks will come, but woe to that person through whom the stumbling blocks come. I don't know about anyone else, but this isn't necessarily for us in this church right now, but any pastor that might be here or listening somehow, some way, you need to take a good, hard look at verse 7. You know, there's churches across these United States, these are the commentaries I read about, that are, that are trying to, by hook or by crook, draw a big crowd. They, they, they just want people. Uh, for whatever reason, who knows? Let me tell you, who draws a crowd? No marketing gimmick. No programs that you can start. We don't do any of that here, if you will note. 
We believe what it says in Acts. If we preach the word of God, God will be faithful to bring people here whom he wants. And we'll be happy with what God brings us. And so woe to that person who wants to build up their church by maybe taking away the the word of God so as to make it compatible to the people who come. Now, let's, let's get to the point. He says in verse 8, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, then cut it off. Now, he's not asking you to maim yourself. He's just giving you an example. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. Throw it away from you. Because, he says, it's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and to be cast into the eternal fire. Then he uses your sight. He says, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. Throw it away from you. Again, he says, it's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be cast into the fiery hell. Then he says in verse 10, See to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. Little ones is, again, he's not talking about children. He's talking about believers, young believers that are, 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 are pliable. Don't despise them, because I say to you that their angel in heaven continually sees the face of my Father who is in heaven. And so these little ones are not physical little children, but they're spiritual children. And Jesus says it's so serious, folks, to lead believers into sin and away from believing and trusting in Him that He says death by drowning or maiming yourself is a better option. That's how serious our Lord is over caring for each other. That's why here at this church, we care for our kids. We care for our, the teenagers right now, the high school junior hires. They're getting great messages from Rob or from Mark or from, from Wes or, 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 or whomever. And, and the young people, Karen is teaching. And sometimes Pastor Bill goes in and teaches. We have wonderful teachers teaching our, our young people. And we feel like it is important here at every level at this church to hear about the Word of God so that we can learn about this God who loves us so much and that we can love Him back in return. But that's not not Jezebel's greatest sin, leading people astray. You know what her greatest sin is? Verse 21. Look look back at Revelation chapter 2, verse 21. Her greatest sin is God says, I've given her time to repent. And she what? She does not want to repent of her immorality or her sin. May I say to you, with as much love as I can muster, if, if, if Karen can act like your, your mom, let me act like your grandpa right now. I say to you, be forewarned. Stay away from those people who choose not to repent. Stay away from the people who choose not to be reconciled back into the body of Christ. Verse 22, our Lord says, Behold, I'm going to cast her because she refuses to repent. I'm going to cast her upon a bed of sickness. And note, also he says, I'm going to cast those who commit adultery with her unless... Unless they repent of her deeds. That's God's grace. God's grace, His unmerited favor, is always God gives people time to repent. 
Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord's not slow about his promises. In other words, some of us think, well, when's he going to come? He, he seems to be slow, but he's not slow, as some would count slowness, it says. But rather, he is patient towards you. He doesn't want anybody to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He's patient. See, there's choices within our lives. In your life and my life as a believer, through repentance, we can judge ourselves. We can ask God for forgiveness. And by the way, He will forgive us every single time we come to Him. And, and let, me, let me also offer you this suggestion, a strong one if I may. Don't put off for this evening a sin that you might know that you have right now. Deal with it. And don't sugarcoat it. He knows exactly what it is. It's like if you've taken a paper clip from somebody and you know you shouldn't have taken that paper clip. And you get convicted of it. You say, well, I'll deal with it later. No, no, tell him you, you've done that. And don't say, I borrowed this paper clip, Lord. He knows better. You stole it. And tell him. Confess it. You see, when, when we go to him and sin, and we sin, it's, it's like slapping him in the face. It's like that. And, and, and if you sin, you, you, you slap them. And, and if you say, oh, Father, forgive me, and then you do it again, and you say, oh, Father, forgive me, and you do it again, sooner or later, after you say, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, you're going to stop yourself. You're going to stop. And you're going to find that, that what you used to do pretty frequently will be done less and less. There will be times where you'll say, wow, gosh, I haven't confessed that sin in a week. You stop it. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And He takes that sin that you've done and He has separated it from you as far as the what east is from the west and He remembers it how much. So we don't have to go back and say, I did it again. Because He's saying, what? What again? What? What did you do? Just tell me what you did. I don't remember what you've done. I've sinned, Father. You're forgiven. Because of Jesus Christ and His blood, you are forgiven. Walk in purity. And if we do that, confess our sins often enough, we're going to stop. We're going to stop slapping our Lord and we'll become the people that God has called us to be. On the other hand, for those of you here today that are investigating about Jesus Christ and you're an unbeliever, it doesn't begin by you confessing your sins. It's by you, it begins by you asking Jesus Christ into your heart so that He can start to change you from the inside out. We offer to you, when you rise in the morning, and when you are alone, and when you go to your deathbed, we offer you Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. Jesus, give me Jesus. Well, if you note in verse 22 and 23 in, in Revelation chapter 2, if we refuse to accept God's grace of forgiveness by not repenting, Jesus three times says, I will do something to you. And what he will do will exercise his judgment upon all who refuse to repent. If you, if you see this closely in, in Thyatira, there's really one, only one reaction that we can take away from this particular place in Scripture. What we can assume is these terrible events that surround the sin of 
what is called Jezebel and those that follow after her, it reveals clearly. This is what it reveals. This is, this is the church of Thyatira. Our Lord's passion for a doctrinally sound and behaviorally pure church is utmost. He expects that from us. Us dysfunctional group of people that come from all different walks of life and all different nationalities. He expects us to, to gather together and to love one another and to care for each other and to be morally, behaviorally pure before our God. So in Jezebel, he says in verse 22, I'm going to cast you upon a bed of sickness. Now that's, that's a great play on words, isn't it? Her sin was, she desired a bed all right, but it was for pleasure. But Jesus is casting her upon a bed, but this time it's for sickness. But also in verse 22, to those who follow after her leading, who go along with her, he will cast them, it says, into a great tribulation. That means distress or, or trouble. But Jesus gives us, those who might follow after her, an opportunity not to go through with it because he says, if we'll repent of, our, of, the, of her deeds, we'll be okay. The last two I wills are found in verse 23 where he says, I'll kill her children with pestilence. That means a terrible death. And I will also give to each of you who go astray according to your deeds. In other words, what you do, you're going to reap what you're going to sow. Now her children who die from this pestilence, it refers to all the generations that, that follow her teachings against Jesus Christ. Again, I say to you how important it is for us to carefully teach the Word of God at all level, young people as well as those of us who are older. And it is imperative for you as a parent to make sure that your child and your grandchildren are in a church that is teaching the Word of God. Don't go to a church just because it, it's, it's maybe close to the house. I think that's good if it teaches the Word of God. But if it doesn't teach, teach the Word of God, don't go to that church just because it's convenient or because it's large or because it's whatever. Go to the church that teaches the Word of God. I heard many pastors preach, if, when you ask someone to turn to a place in Scripture and you hear the leaves of the, of the, uh, of the pages turning, he says, if you don't hear the leaves of the pages turning, then you leave. <laughs> oh, you laughed. Oh, my gosh. I don't usually get laughter. <laughs> it's talking about those who commit adultery with her. Those, the children that are separated from that are those that follow after this teaching. And, and it's talking about eternal death. That's the pestilence it's talking about, they say in the commentaries. In verse 23, Jesus says, All of this is done so that all people will know that I am God, that I am the one who searches your mind and your hearts. The point is this, clear and simple. We have no reason within our church to tolerate sin. Not in our own lives, nor in the life of this church. Because we cannot compromise and we cannot tolerate sin and not expect the judgment of God to fall upon us. Because nothing is hidden from His sight. 
We can sin maybe and think, well, no one knows. The church doesn't know. No one knows. Maybe not. But God does. Because He searches our minds and He searches our hearts and He'll give to every single one of us according to our deeds. And you can't stand before God. You can never stand before God without Jesus Christ. And, and sin will separate you from Him. It will. Now, for us who are believers, we'll never lose our salvation, but we can lose our joy. We can lose our peace. We can lose the blessings. We can lose the power of God. I love that James, I just picked this verse out, James chapter 2, verse 10. It, it says this, Whoever keeps the whole law, and yet stumbles in one point, just one lousy point. In other words, you've done everything right and you want, made one mistake. It says in James 2.10, if you keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, you've become guilty of it all. And the reason that is there is to show you and me our desperate need for Jesus Christ. That's why it's there. It's to shake us to our very core to know that we're not good enough. One sin, one Simple sin separates us from God. And so as verse 24 explains, to those who do not fold under the pressure of this false teaching, who do not follow it, Jesus says, I place no other burden on you. Praise the Lord. We can have a holy and pure church within ourselves of those that really want to walk with the Lord. And I saw that in Louis Polino's hospital room. I saw it as clear as I ever could see anything. It was a touch of heaven. And he told me that this church has changed his life. And his kids told me this church has changed their lives. The Word of God has changed their lives. And so choosing a church becomes extremely important for you and your family and your loved ones. So Jesus says, for those of us who overcome and hear his voice, we're going to make it through. Verse 26, he says, I, I hold no burden upon those who overcome. And we, we learned in, in overcoming, in fact, uh, Wes, Wes Porter taught so wonderfully on, on 1 John, uh, in this case 5.5, 5, here is the one who overcomes the world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's, it's always that. It's always belief in Christ. And so he says in verse 25, Hold fast to what you believe until I come, and I will give you authority over nations. I do not want that. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. I've had enough authority on this earth, and I'm like, a, I'm trying to make decisions of Solomon, and I'm really a donkey. You know, it's like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't match. And so authority, I don't want it. But I'll tell you what I do want. I want verse 28 bad. I want the morning star. You know who the morning star is, don't you? It's Jesus. I want him with me throughout eternity. I want him to guide me. I want him to protect me. I want him to watch over everything that I might do or say from that moment forward. People, you cannot have enough of Jesus Christ. But you can't have him unless you take him now. Remember we taught a few weeks ago in 2 Corinthians 6.2, Today, now, this is the day of salvation. The reason the Bible is so specific about that is because you cannot, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. 
Louis Panino a, a week ago was as far as he knew as healthy as could be and now he's got three to four months they say to live. But doctors can be wrong. Jesus can heal him. So as it says in verse 29 of this, this study of this great, great book, it said, The person who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Please hear him. And for the sake of God Almighty, please receive him as your own personal Lord and Savior. And let us as a church not tolerate or compromise sin by any fashion in our church. Let us, let us be a people that hold fast to the purity of who we are. Listen, I, I, I open my heart to you. I open my life to you. If you see me in sin, I beg of you, come to me in private and tell me and see if I won't repent or not. I promise you I will. We need to keep ourselves pure and holy because look at what God might do through this church. Look around. He's growing us. Father, thank you. Bless those that are going to Dominican. For those of us that can stay, Father, for a few moments, let us go and taste the wonders of the food that Angela and those who have made it made for us and, and see what's going on over there, see some of the displays, and also pray for the people that are going. And, and then, Father, when we, when we think of it, may we pray for Louis and, and his wife Carol and their family. And, and then, Father, will you help us as a church to continue to be a church that teaches your word and holds fast to the things of, of you and, and just love you purely, just love you so purely, Father and that we would not tolerate or compromise sin in any way, shape, or form, regardless, even if it's our, our best of friend or if it's someone that's, that's been with us for so long, there's times where sin needs to be dealt with. And we pray that the person that we deal with it would have the integrity of their spirit to confess and to repent. Bless us, please, dear Father. In Jesus' precious name, bless us. Amen. I love you all more than life itself. Thank you guys for being here.